This message was recorded at Fillmore Baptist Church in Princeton, Louisiana. Our goal is to faithfully preach the Word of God for the salvation of sinners, the strengthening of believers, and the glory of God. Please visit our website at www.fillmorebaptist.org and listen for more information at the conclusion of this message. Uh, this morning we'll be reading out of uh, the book of Habakkuk. Uh, it's kind of a tricky one to find. It's a small book at the at the back of your Old Testament, in between Nahum and Zephaniah, Habakkuk, and uh, we'll, we'll be reading out of the first chapter this morning. I had to sing the the Old Testament songbooks. We uh, we learned to to find it, but anyway, whatever works. It's a uh, Habakkuk, the first chapter. And uh, when you find it, would you stand? We'll read the the first four verses. The burden which the prophet Habakkuk saw. O Lord, how long shall I cry, and you will not hear? Even cry out to you, violence, and you will not save. Why do you show me iniquity, and cause me to see trouble? For plundering and violence are before me. There is strife and contention arises. Therefore the law is powerless and justice never goes forth. For the wicked surround the righteous. Therefore perverse judgment proceeds. Heavenly Father, we, <clears throat> we're so grateful this morning, Lord, uh, to gather again together in your presence. Lord, uh, we're thankful above all things that uh, you're with us. You're with your people and you've given us assurance that you will never leave or forsake us. We live in a world that is full of darkness and there are always temptations to doubt. Doubt you, doubt your presence, doubt your love doubt that uh, your word is true. But again, Lord, uh, in in all of the darkness, uh, your grace abounds towards your people. Your promises, uh, we know, are yea and amen. They are yes, yes to those who come to you in Christ. Lord, we're so thankful for the gift of salvation. Lord, we're thankful that this present experience in this world is temporary and that we have an eternity in Your presence to look forward to. Lord, I pray this morning for enablement. Please grant, Lord, that I may deliver the message that You would have delivered here uh, plainly, accurately, for your glory. And Lord, please grant this morning that if there's anyone in this room who does not know you in truth, Lord, that this would be the day that uh, their heart would be open to the gospel, to you, to your lordship, to your will. And Lord, that they too would know salvation you provided in Jesus Christ. Again, we thank you 
And we ask all of these things in Jesus' name. Amen. You can be seated. I'm always amazed, we should, I should be amazed, how relevant um, God's Word is uh, for, for every period of time. Uh, one witness that God's Word, the Bible, <laughs> is indeed God's Word, divinely inspired. It's a timeless message, um, and it, it again, is, is always relevant for the present time, whatever that is. Of course, for us, it's, it's today, this 21st century. Um, God's Word is just as relevant today as it was when it was pinned or in the process of being pinned. I think you will see that again here as we go through uh, uh, Habakkuk. I'm confident that you will. Um, small book, but uh, powerful. Uh, and uh, I just want to run through a, a few things by way of introduction. And, and then what I want to do this morning is deal with um, Habakkuk's question, his questioning God, uh, and then uh, come back and, and get into God's answer tonight, which will start in verse 5. Now, that's... that's by the way, the nature of this book, it's, it's a dialogue. It's a, it's a little different than um, what most of the prophets are, where, where they are just uttering a word that God, Yahweh, has given to them for the people. Here, Habakkuk is not so much speaking to the people. He's speaking to God. This, this book is a, is a dialogue. Habakkuk asking questions, God answering, and then in the end... Uh, Habakkuk praising God, returning a, a song of praise to the Lord. So again, just by way of introduction, I just want to say a few things. Uh, first of all, uh, about the author, we know very little. So I wish I could tell you a lot more about him. But, uh, uh, you know, sometimes we, we speculate um, on what it will be like when we get to glory um, and who all we'll be able to meet. Of course, the... The main thing, which is usually what we focus on, and rightfully so, the, the main thing is that we will be in the presence of the Lord, and I think that's going to be the most important thing to us throughout eternity. But you, your mind does tend to, to uh, wonder, doesn't it, what it would be like to sit down with Abraham and have a chat, or, or the Apostle Paul it would be fascinating. So maybe, maybe if, if, uh, if, if that really is the case, we get to have that kind of fellowship, we'll, we'll be able to find out more about Habakkuk when we get there, <laughs> and uh, maybe we'll get to sit down and chat with him. But right, right now, we, we know very little about this prophet, um, Habakkuk. His name, it is thought, uh, means embrace. Embrace. And that is uh, certainly fitting. We're going to see by the time we get to the end of the book that though he starts out uh, essentially complaining it's, uh, it's somewhat similar to Job. He, he uh, in the end, is embracing God's will, embracing God Himself, and God's wisdom, God's justice. He is apparently a temple musician. He, he closes out his word, the oracle, um, chapter 3, <clears throat> verse 19, with these words, to the chief music, musician, with my stringed instruments. 
So it's not what he's penned here in this third third chapter is not just a, a pen for the benefit of somebody else to to uh, play, but uh, he says with my own stringed instruments, which again could mean that that he was one of the official uh, musicians in the in the uh, temple worship. He was a contemporary of Nahum which is the little book just, just before this one, Jeremiah and Zephaniah. So he, he was probably alive uh, when the Jews were taken captive uh, into Babylon. We, do, we don't know if he survived it, uh, as uh, some did, but, but uh, he was probably alive at that point. He is at least prophesying about those events. So he, he is at least uh, alive just prior to them. Think of his 597 B.C. When, uh, when Jerusalem was finally sacked and the Jews were carried off to captivity in Babylon. And uh, that, that is the, the, the main event that he's looking forward to in this, in this oracle. So, uh, you know, we'll have that in mind as we go, go through here as well. It, it's at this very moment that... Uh, the Jews are going through a very difficult uh, political and social period. This, this is following the reign of Josiah, which Josiah was a good king, and there was, there was great revival uh, during his day. But uh, when his son took the throne, uh, then the whole nation just kind of backslid. And uh, Jehoiakim, his, Josiah's son, was just a... Uh, a, a vassal king for first under uh, Necho, the ruler of Egypt, and then uh, under the Babylonian uh, king. So, at this point, uh, Israel is in bad shape politically, uh, religiously, uh, socially. They're, they're in a very bad, dark period. And uh, as Habakkuk is prophesying and Jeremiah prophesied, they are about to be invaded and uh, and taken away in captivity. So it's a very dark period in their in their history. And interestingly enough, as I already noted, it's it's following a a period of revival. Amazing, isn't it? People could so quickly revert back to sinful ways after God has blessed in, in such a special way. The key verse here, and this is again, I would, surely the most well known verse from Habakkuk. Uh, at least the second part of this verse, is Habakkuk 2.4. Behold the proud, his soul is not upright in him, but, and here's the part that is so well known, but the just shall live by his faith. The just shall live by his faith. And that's, that is the main theme of this book. In other words, that's what uh, the Lord is calling uh, Habakkuk to do, is trust him, trust God, trust his goodness, trust his... Uh, his his justice, uh, his sovereignty, um, and that's what he's calling us to do through this oracle. The just live by faith. Those who believe in God live by faith, and we got to talk about that uh, quite a bit uh, in our in the last part of the book of Hebrews. Um, and this verse is quoted several times in the New Testament. Uh, certainly, Romans one is probably the most uh, the most well known place where it's quoted. Uh, it was the uh, the cry of the Reformation. If you're familiar at all with the Reformation period and 
in the uh, 16th century. Uh, this, this was the passage that God used to uh, illuminate uh, believers at that time, Martin Luther uh, specifically, um, so that they could get back to a Bible version of salvation by grace through faith. And uh, that understanding led to what we now call the Protestant Reformation. The just shall live by his faith. So I would say that's the key verse in the book. That's certainly the key theme. The just, God's people, live by faith. A few more verses I want to mention here. These are just uh, uh, some of the best known verses from from the book. Um, Chapter 2. Verse 14, For the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. Well, what a passage that is. <laughs> and I need to say also, we'll be looking at that uh, over and over because um, this, this kind of lies at the, at the heart of God's call for us to trust Him. In other words, He's, he's saying, yes, there's darkness now, there's hardship now. There's trouble now. There's tribulation now. It's not out of control. God has it in control. Things are working according to His plan. And what He wants us to understand is that ultimately, the Lord is going to be glorified throughout the earth. It's what He wants His people to understand. It's what He wants His people to long for. So in the meantime, what we do is trust Him and worship Him knowing that in the end the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. It's awesome to think about it, isn't it? The whole earth full of the glory of God. That's where we're headed. That's where we're headed. So that's 2.14. That's an often quoted passage. Uh, one of the most uh, well-known ones from, from the book. Also, uh, again, chapter 2, verse uh, 20. But the Lord is in His holy temple. Let all the earth keep silence before Him. Uh, Another one, well known. Chapter 3, verse 17 and 18. Um, Now, as I I mentioned earlier, the book starts out with uh, complaints by Habakkuk. He's complaining to the Lord. Why do you put up? We'll see that in a moment. Why do you put up with evil? By the end of the book, after the Lord gives answers, by the end of the book, uh, he's, he's, just, he's just praising God. And then he gives this testimony, chapter 3, verse 17. Though the fig tree may not blossom, nor fruit be on the vines, though the labor of the olive, though the labor of the olive may fail, and the fields yield no food, though the flock may be cut off from the fold, and there be no herd in the stalls, yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will joy in the God of my salvation. Again, key thing. That's where we're all, that's, that's where we're headed. That's where uh, he's, the Lord is bringing Habakkuk to that point, to where he's basically saying, Lord, uh, my, my joy is not in the prosperity of this world. My joy is in you. And if the food runs out, and, and there's no prosperity, there's nothing to eat, there's no herd in the stall, there's no uh, food in the fields, I will rejoice in the Lord. So what he's saying is the Lord is sufficient for me. 
He's all I need. Everything else can be taken away. He says, I'll rejoice in the Lord. I will joy in the God of my salvation. Finally, another uh, uh, well-known verse is just the next verse. Um, verse 19, chapter 3, 19. Again, part of his closing testimony. The Lord God is my strength. He will make my feet like deer's feet. And He will make me walk on my high heels. Uh, he's not talking about high heel shoes there, by the way. <clears throat> so, you know, there's valleys and heels. Well, you know. High places. <laughs> one, of the, one of the great things about traveling, like even in western Kentucky where we were, um, I'm sure, you know, for Brother Ron, those aren't serious heels, but because uh, uh, in eastern Kentucky they have mountains. But for Louisiana boy, those are pretty good heels in western Kentucky. I mean, when I think about it. Our highest is over here by Arcadia. That's what we call a mountain. Um, so, high places. The Lord will make my feet like deer's feet, like hind's feet. Sure. Sure-footed. And make me walk on high places. So, again, he's saying, my, my joy is in the Lord. The God is my strength. He's the source uh, of my joy. He's, he's, the, uh, he's not only the source, but he's also uh, the focus of it. And whatever else goes on, by the end of the book, Habakkuk says, my, my joy is in God. It's in Yahweh, the Lord. Remember, in the Old Testament, uh, God revealed himself uh, through the name Yahweh, um, the Hebrew. Uh, sometimes the, the Jehovah is used, same, comes from the same, same name. And it's the name that he gave to Moses when Moses said, Who do I tell them sent me? And the Lord said, Tell them I am that I am, and that's where the, the name Yah or Yahweh comes from, I am. So to be a present tense to be verb, I am that I am, that's the God we serve. And if you think about that for a moment, of course, I won't spend much time there, but uh, he, he's going to be using that name, so I just want us to know uh, he, he's talking about the Lord, God, Yahweh. If you think about it for a moment, everybody else has to say, Everything else, if it could speak, has to say, I am because someone else is. But God alone says, I am that I am, Yahweh. He's the eternal, uh, self-existing, self-existent, eternal, totally sufficient God. Incredible. Amazing, isn't it, to think about having a discourse... A dialogue with God, with the great I Am. Well, that's what we have here in the book of Habakkuk. He is making his complaint before the Lord, asking questions, and God returns answers. Probably not exactly the answers he wanted or was looking for, but but he does give answers. Um, A few more uh, key themes here, or themes that you will see throughout the book. Um, Habakkuk is... Uh, as I mentioned, it's a changed man. By the end of the book, he starts out complaining. He winds up praising Yahweh. The sovereignty of God is an uh, important theme here. The justice of God. God is, God is just. Another main thing. Judgment. 
This is one of the things that Habakkuk is complaining about. There doesn't appear to be any judgment from God upon the wicked. And we could, we could certainly say the same thing in our day, couldn't we? It, we, we look around and we see uh, the wicked prosper. Unbelievers go through life, experience many of the same things that you and I do. And, and you could wonder, now, why does God put up with that when they blaspheme Him? And so he questions God's uh, justice. He questions um, why he's not judging. And so that's the theme. And it comes back not only in the form of, yes, there will be judgment for the wicked out there, but also there will be judgment, uh, in this case, brought upon the children of Israel, God's people, for their sin. Um, A a brief... uh, Synopsis, you might say, from, from, from John Calvin. He says, Habakkuk reproves here his own nation, that's the nation of Israel, and shows that they had in vain disdainfully resisted all God's prophets, for they would at length find that their threatening would be accomplished. The burden then, that is this oracle, this book, the burden then which the prophet Habakkuk saw was this, that God, after having exercised long forbearance towards the Jews, would at length be the punisher of their many sins. So, so this is the message of the book. It's punishment for the nation of Israel because they have forsaken God. Uh, they have uh, um, indulged in wickedness. And also punishment for uh, their enemies, their oppressors, those who will who God will use to bring punishment on them, will in the end be punished themselves. Um, God is just and merciful. Um, wickedness, again, will eventually be punished. The righteous will ultimately see God's justice. You can look at things now, and you may not fully understand. Uh, in fact, this question is often raised. How, how can there be a good and just God when there is so much evil in the world? Well, ultimately we will see God's justice. In fact, all people will, ultimately. Um, God uses some wicked nations to punish other wicked nations. Uh, but ultimately, God will judge all nations. One of the things that we're going to have to do by uh, by way of application is this: when when we when we look at the book of Habakkuk and the Old Testament in general, um, we're looking at a different time period, different different dispensation, and so we we find there God's dealing with. Uh, Certain ethnic groups, for example, the, the Jews um, and other nations, in a way that uh, may not be the same today. And, and I say that for this reason, because it, it is so easy to confuse kingdoms. By that I mean like the, the, the present nation kingdom we live in versus the kingdom of God, the church, 
God's people. And we see Christians falling into this all the time. So, so keep in mind, we're looking at a different dispensation. God's people are represented here by, in the book of Habakkuk, by uh, the nation of Israel, an ethnic group. Under the New Testament dispensation in which we now live, God's people are those who truly know Him. They're, it's not one ethnic group. It, it is, it is a, a, a group of people made up of all ethnic groups, some from all ethnic groups. So, uh, again, just keep that in mind. Yet, it is still true that uh, God works His will in the nations. King's heart's in the hand of the Lord, as the rivers of water He turneth it whithersoever He will. So, it is still true that God raises up nations and He brings them down. He uses them for His purpose. And then He raises up another nation and uses them for the... You know, so, uh, there's, there's, never, there, there's not a country, a nation that you can point to in the history of the world that that has uh, maintained, uh, you could point to a lot of them that had what we would call now a, a superpower status. You could point to many, like Assyria, Babylon, uh, Rome, so forth. But they've never been able to maintain that, have they? It's always been temporary. So uh, don't be deceived into thinking that we will either. The, the nations are less than nothing. In the eyes of God, it's what the Scripture says. Now I don't know what less than nothing is. It's hard to even it's hard to even uh, get a grasp on what nothing is, isn't it? Because as soon as you get some kind of picture in your mind of what nothing is, you've got something. So it's it's hard to even get a grasp on what nothing is. And the Lord says the nations are less than nothing to Him. So He's He's not interested, uh, you know, in Nations per se. His people now is the church. And the church is made up of every ethnic group on the face of the earth. Revelation, it says, there, there are people there from every tribe, kindred, tongue, and nation. So every, not only every nationality, but every people group. That's, that's the kingdom of God. That's, that's the one that will stand when all the others will fall. So, just, again, just keep that in mind as we go through here. Because I hear so often, you know, Second uh, Chronicles 7.14, for example, is often quoted and applied to America um, as the people of God. America is not the people of God. It's, it's just not. And it's not intended to be. We're in a different dispensation. God's people is the church. Okay. Habakkuk 1. One, the burden which the prophet Habakkuk saw. Now, the word a burden there, um, uh, some translations have the word oracle. It's, it's just, uh, this is a word from God. Uh, a burden that uh, Habakkuk uh, is, is bearing for the people. And, and uh, again, it's coming in the form of a dialogue, a discourse. So his prophecy uh, is written down, obviously. We have it right here in front of us. Um, but he... For the most part, uh, or here, he's not speaking to the people. Now, it will be delivered to them, again, just as it's been delivered to us. But he is speaking to God, and God is speaking to him. The burden which the prophet Habakkuk saw. And here comes uh, his complaint. Now, I'm just, this morning, just going to break this down into uh, two, uh, two parts here. 
Uh, first of all, the prophet's uh, complaint, and as I said, we won't deal with the, the answer to this until tonight, but first of all, the, the prophet's complaint, and then secondly, the, the, the people's condition, and this is, this is what he's complaining about. But uh, first of all, in verse 2, here is Habakkuk's complaint to the Lord. He's speaking to the Lord. O Lord, how long shall I cry and you will not hear? Even cry out to you, violence, and you will not say. Why do you show me iniquity and cause me to see trouble? For plundering and violence are before me. There is strife. And contention arises. Therefore, the law is powerless, and justice never goes forth. For the wicked surround the righteous, therefore perverse judgment proceeds. A couple of questions for thought here. Is there ever a time that God does not hear the prayers of His people? Is there ever a time that God will not save when his people call out to him. Now, now I'm, I'm meaning there by save, save from circumstances. Because that's what Habakkuk is talking about. He, he already belongs to the Lord. He's not talking about salvation in the sense of, of a relationship to God, being saved, the way we use the term. But he's talking about being saved out of this situation. He's asking God, why aren't you doing something? Oh, Lord, how long shall I cry and you will not hear? Even cry out to you violence. He's, he's, he's uh, saying that this is his cry. He cries out to the Lord. Violence. He's like he wants God to know there, there's violence going on here. And I'm, I'm constantly crying out concerning this violence because our culture is corrupt. Now, as I said, they, they just came out of a period of revival, but it didn't last. Josiah, he was, he was tearing down uh, the uh, altars to, uh, uh, to pagan gods, cleaning up the house of God, reinstituting godly worship and the keeping of the Passover, reinstituting praise to the living God, to Yahweh. And now all of that is gone and they've got a king who is just a puppet to the uh, Egyptian king and then later to uh, Nebuchadnezzar the Babylonian king uh, he he winds up conquering the Assyrians and the Egyptians so so the Babylonians wind up uh, sacking Jerusalem and taking them into captivity so they have a king that is wicked and he's nothing more than a puppet king and all of the people have turned away from God. They seem to have forgotten this period of revival where they, uh, at that time, had returned to the Word of God. Now they've, again, forsaken the Word of God. And so the land is filled with corruption, violence, iniquity, trouble, contention, strife, injustice. Sounds somewhat familiar, doesn't it? And Habakkuk's question is this, God, why are you not doing something? Why do you tolerate the wickedness? Why do you tolerate evil? And as I said earlier, this question comes up so much. And let me say this, if, if it is asked in a sincere 
manner, best way I know how to put it, I guess, uh, I think it's a great question. Now, what I mean by that is, is this. Uh, sometimes unbelievers will use this question. Uh, it, really, it's nothing more than a way to mock the truth. Nothing more than a way to uh, mock the biblical God and the idea that there is such thing as justice, uh, that there is such thing as God, relationship with Him and so forth. Sometimes it's used that way. But when the question is asked in a manner that is just, uh, someone is just genuinely sincere, how, how could this be so? I think, I think it's a legitimate question and probably a, a healthy question. At least it can be, depending on how they respond to the answer. There is evil in the world, isn't there? And we as Christians, uh, we don't deny that. We, we, we don't say, as some do, that it's, it's really just all in your head. Or we don't tell people, you know what, what you, what you really need to do is, is escape from it. It's, it's, it's really all not real. And the more you can escape from it mentally and maybe even physically if you uh, wind up uh, committing suicide, um, the better. Because your, your existence here really has no meaning anyway. <clears throat> Christians, we, we don't deny that the evil is real. And hopefully we don't preach any kind of uh, unreasonable escape from it. Here's the thing. I may be getting ahead of myself a little bit here, but... Um, this quote from Jesus often comes to my mind in, in thinking about these things. Jesus told His disciples, John 16:33, In the world you have tribulation. In the world you have tribulation. Acts 14, Paul uh, says to the churches, It is through much tribulation that you shall enter the kingdom of God. And he says of himself in Acts 20, that he endured much tribulations, plural. The biblical view, the Christian uh, worldview, uh, acknowledges evil in the world. And uh, we know, at least in part, how it got here. Uh, God gives us some insight into that. He doesn't give us the full story, but he, he does tell us how it came into the human experience. In the Garden of Eden, when uh, Adam and Eve were tempted... Uh, Eve specifically, tempted by the serpent, the devil. She sinned. She rebelled against God. She, she uh, partook of the forbidden fruit, fruit of the tree of, of the knowledge of good and evil. Rebelled against God. Now, there was the first act of sin, humanly speaking, in the human experience. And we've all now been corrupted as a result of that act. So that all of us 
were born into this world as sinners. We didn't, we didn't arrive here like Adam and Eve. They were created without sin. And then, through committing sin, opened the gate for sin in the world, for evil in the world. And so now we're all born in sin, alienated from God. And the reason there's evil in the world is because there are evil people in the world. And, and we don't deny that that is the case. It's real. It's, it's, it's out there. And we don't deny that dealing with it is hard. And Habakkuk cries out to God for uh, relief, for deliverance. What he wants God to do is, is, is somewhat like... Uh, uh, I believe it was Capernaum where they, they refused Jesus, re- refused His words. And uh, James and John, uh, who were uh, known as the sons of thunder, and, and this is part of the reason why, James and John, when they saw that Jesus was rejected, asked Jesus, as, as though they had the power to do this, they asked Jesus, would you like for us to call down fire from heaven? And, of course, they're really hoping, you know, He's, he's going to... Wouldn't this be a good idea now, Lord, to call down fire from heaven and wipe all of these people out? And they're wanting Jesus to do this because they're wanting justice served. And they want it now. Or at least they think they do. They want it now. Immediate justice. And that's kind of the situation with Habakkuk. He sees all this evil, all this violence, all this corruption, all the strife and contention, not just of the other nations around the world, but his own people are engaging in these things. He's talking about uh, his culture, his society. There's, there's violence everywhere. Why do you show me these things? He, he wants to know, Lord, why do I have to endure this? Why do you cause me to see trouble? Why do you cause me to see... Uh, all of these things, plundering and violence, strife and contention. Do something about it. And listen again to some of the symptoms here because uh, this is, is so familiar. Violence. Violence. Just read this week. And boy, this, of course, there are thousands of examples, aren't there? But that we, I mean, that we could think of individually. But uh, just this week, you know, there's a story here locally about a woman taking a contract on her husband. Had he murdered? And uh, the report I heard was that they had been married 50 years. Violence. Iniquity. The idea of lawlessness. That is, people live as though there's no law. And so there's trouble all around. Strife and contention. Now, now let me say this too. This, when I when I say that this is a part of our existence in the world, uh, and, and hardship, trouble, persecution, I, what, what I mean, I want to be careful here. What I mean is that we are somewhat like uh, Lot was in Sodom and Gomorrah. We are. We are affected by the wickedness of the culture around us, vexed by it. 
It, it should not be characteristic of the church. It should not be characteristic of the home. So, for example, when Jesus says in the world you have tribulation, or Paul says it's through much tribulation that you enter into the kingdom of God, he doesn't mean that fighting amongst ourselves is acceptable. What he's saying is that we should expect to be attacked from the world around us, from unbelievers. We should expect not only to be attacked, but, but just to see the evil that they're committing against one another. It, it is part of our daily existence here. We, like Habakkuk, see iniquity. We see trouble. We see plundering and violence. We see strife and contention. If, if we have... If we have trouble... Persecution, whatever the case, that is the result of our own wicked behavior. There's, there's no glory in that, and that is not intended to be part of the Christian experience. Peter talks about that in one of his epistles. If you suffer for Christ's sake, all right, then there's great comfort. Um, there's, there's glory for God there. But if you suffer because of your own evil deeds, uh, then uh, there, there's no glory there. There's no peace. There's no, uh, there's no joy to be found there. Uh, what we need in those cases is repentance. <laughs> and that's what the Jews needed here is repentance. But Habakkuk uh, is committed to the Lord. He, he loves the Lord. He's not committing the iniquity. He's not engaged in it, so he's wanting to know why he has to endure it. Why do I have to live with it? Why do I have to see it? How come the justice, justice of God is not being poured out on the people who are committing these offenses? Verse 4, and this is very interesting to me. Again, so, so relevant to our day. Therefore, the law... Is powerless. Now, he said in verse 3, um, there's iniquity, lawlessness everywhere, right? So, therefore, the law is powerless. It's, 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 it's not effective. It's not doing, the law is not working because, uh, well, because people are, are not uh, concerned with it and they're not using it the way that it's supposed to be used. We've got a... Uh, uh, a, a state, Arizona, in, in the uh, country right now, having a, having a huge problem with uh, illegal immigration. And this is, this is their cry to the federal government. The, the law is not working. It's not being enforced. It's powerless. And he goes on to say, And justice never goes forth. For the wicked surround the righteous. So he's basically saying, Lord, we're, we're outnumbered. We're outnumbered and the wicked are in control. They, they've got the righteous surrounded and, and therefore they have uh, made the law of no effect. And no justice is being done. No justice goes forth. Therefore, perverse judgment so rather than righteous judgment, he's saying what is characteristic of our culture now is perversion, perverse judgment. We can think of some uh, 
examples of that in our own day, uh, can't we? When, when the highest court in the land says that it is acceptable for a certain group of people in certain situations to commit murder, That's perverse judgment. Where is the righteous judgment? Jesus said we are to judge a righteous judgment. We've lost the ability to do that as a society. We don't want to lose the ability to do that as the church of God. We need discernment. We need to be able to make righteous Judgment. But Habakkuk says, at least around me, he's saying, in, in our culture, in our, in our society, perversion rules. The wicked are in control. This is the condition of the people. His, his complaint is, God, why aren't you doing something? Why, why don't you hear me? And the condition of the people is all of this perverseness, this iniquity, this strife, this contention, this lawlessness. In other words, evil abounds. It's everywhere. Habakkuk is saying, Lord, I'm living in darkness. Why aren't you delivering me? Now, <clears throat> I like to read uh, accounts of martyrs, biographies, that kind of thing, Christians over the centuries. And uh, really what winds up happening a lot of times is I find out truly um, <clears throat> what a wimp I am. Because we as Americans, uh, of course this is not characteristic only of Americans, but... Much of us around the world, at least in Western culture, are so prosperous. Um, and it doesn't take much for us to start crying, does it? Like, like Habakkuk is living in some really perverse times, bad situations. It doesn't take much for us to cry out for uh, our idea of judgment. You know, we say, God, bring judgment, bring it now. But really, we've got a, a, our own perverted view a lot of times of what that would look like. But in, in spite of that, in spite of that, there, there really is severe, serious persecution facing the church. And the Scripture declares that that's pretty much the norm. In other words, that's, that's what we should expect as Christians. And in, I, I think, in other words, we should be more amazed that we don't suffer persecution here in America uh, than we are you know, when we get some little cross word from somebody. I mean, somebody doesn't want you to put up a Christmas tree or a cross somewhere and you know, we, go, we go crazy. We ought to be amazed that they're not hunting us down. Putting us to death. It's happening. It's happening now in other parts of the world. And that's pretty much the way Jesus said it would be. 
Here in our culture, we have a unique situation. We've been extremely blessed And so there's probably, here, here's the danger. I, I don't know this from experience because I haven't lived both worlds. You know, in other words, I, I've lived the American life. I, I haven't been in China or Vietnam or something like that and had them drag me off and beat me and throw me in jail for preaching the gospel. Or Sudan, or Saudi Arabia, or Turkey. I haven't lived that life. But, nevertheless, I, I think, just, just observation here, logical conclusion, I think we may be, in the situation we're in, we may be in more danger of loving this world. We may be in more danger of not being in love with the Lord. Like we should. In fact, I'm, I'm pretty sure that's the case. We may be in more danger of not engaging in true worship. Not trusting God. And again, that's where God's taking Habakkuk in this book. We'll see it as we move through it. Um, but he, he wants Habakkuk and all of us to love Him above all things. There's, there's evil in this world, but there's sin in this world. I mean, we should, we should not be surprised that bad things happen here. But it's only temporary. And, and He's given us assurance that in the life to come, we have joy in His presence. In fact... Now, there's going to be new heavens and new earth, and the earth will be filled with His glory. That day is coming. It's something for us to look forward to, unless we love this world more. So Habakkuk's complaint is, Lord, why aren't you doing something about the evil going on? God's answer will have to wait till tonight. The condition that Habakkuk is living in is just corruption, violence, strife. Injustice, perversion, this very similar to the conditions we live in today. We're not, as Christians in America, we're not facing physical persecution, but we do see injustice and we do witness violence. We do see strife and contention all around us. Um, we do see that justice does not go forth. And so we live... Vexed, as it were, by those things every day. I'll, I'll leave you with this thought today. It's not, not in this present text, these verses. <clears throat> More in line with chapter 214 that we read earlier. There is coming a day. The earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. Essentially, what that means is this. There is coming a day when all things will be made right. It's going to happen. Paul told the Greeks at Athens, uh, at Mars Hill, God has appointed a day in which He will judge the world by one man, 
Jesus Christ. There, there is, and this is what I'm saying as I close, there is hope in Jesus Christ. We live in a situation where there is so much darkness that it looks like there's no hope. Evil abounds. But in the midst of that, the Word of God assures us that if you trust in Christ, there is hope. There is hope. There is life. Beyond this life. So for now, what we do is trust God. Live by faith. Worship Him. Looking forward to the day when the earth is full of His glory and sin is no more. That will only be realized through a relationship with Jesus Christ. Now, we just came out of the book of Hebrews and spent a lot of time on that. But let me just say real briefly, God has dealt with sin. He has already brought judgment. And for those who believe on Christ, the judgment for your sin, the judgment for my sin, has been meted out. On Jesus. Our iniquity is dealt with. And so what we have to look forward to is eternal life in Christ. For the unbeliever's judgment, uh, well, there's even a sense in which it already now is manifest uh, in just... Loosening the reins. Letting the wicked do what they want to do. That's a form of judgment. And finally, there will be uh, the ultimate judgment where all unbelievers are cast into the lake of fire and believers enter into the eternal kingdom of God. So in this world, as dark as it is, as bad as the evil is, there is great hope if your joy is in the Lord. If your strength is not good circumstances, but the Lord. The Lord. Just like all the rest of the books of the Bible, it's, it's point, pointing us to Christ, saying, love Him. Be totally devoted to Him. Trust totally in Him. Let Him be your all. Let's pray. Father, we thank You for Your Word. We thank You for this this oracle given through this prophet. A message of hope for dark times. Assurance that You are on the throne. That You're in control. That You will make all things right. That You work all things, even things that look... uh, bad on the surface to us, you work all things for good to those who love you and are called according to your purpose. Lord, we we thank you. Thank you for those promises. Thank you for your word. Thank you for understanding. 
Now we pray, Lord, turn our hearts toward You. May we not be in love with this world. May we say with Habakkuk, if there is nothing good in this world for me, if, if there's no prosperity, no food, I will rejoice in the Lord. God is my strength. Lord, may that testimony be true of us. By Your grace. In Christ. We ask it in His name. Amen. This sermon is made available through the ministry of Fillmore Baptist Church in Princeton, Louisiana. Our desire is to faithfully proclaim the message of salvation which God has provided in the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ our Lord. For more resources and information, please visit our website at www.fillmorebaptist.org. You may use the links there to contact us or write us at Fillmore Baptist Church, 6304 Highway 80, Princeton, Louisiana, 71067.